Good evening. Today is Monday, November 27th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is There is a Solution, and our speaker tonight is Patrick B. Thank you, Patrick. Good evening, all. Um, thank you for your service, Sherry, and everybody on this meeting. And thank you. Uh, I think it was Chanel that reached out with the invitation via another fellow. Um, and um, I'm grateful to be here. Um, if you're new here, um, we're reading an appropriate chapter. We are, uh, and not, not reading a chapter, I'm going to share my experience with the chapter because my experience is there is a solution. Um, and um, I'm grateful for that because my life, um, as you can see here, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty quickly, I'm going to share this, my screen or a screen with you just with one photograph. Um, can you see that? So the top left photograph is Patrick B. at 11 years sober and Alcoholics Anonymous at the International AA Convention, utterly convinced that he was living a spiritual life. And he's clearly living in the midst of his malady. Those other two people um, have given me permission, and there's a story with that that I'll hopefully be able to squeeze in here at some point. Uh, the lower right-hand picture is, is three and a half years later, after I was 12-stepped into Overeaters Anonymous at that very uh, convention. The results speak for themselves on a physical level. But I will report to you that the man in that lower right-hand picture still has some spiritual challenges um, to overcome. So... Um, I just like to put that up right there because, you know, we come for the vanity and stay for the sanity. That was certainly part of the case for me because I would have reported to you that that 420 pound man who was dying of type two diabetes, who had put on 150 pounds after a triple bypass was living a spiritual life. You know, the big book in the run up to the, to the, uh, I know we're reading, um, chapter two, but in the run up to, uh, Step three, it talks about the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot. That is a man who is supposedly living in recovery, and there's nothing recover there's nothing recovery oriented about that. Because what I felt, what you guys taught me here, and what what I learned as a result of having an experience with a power greater than myself, as opposed to an opinion about one, is that a, a healthy spirit can't live in a sick temple. Now, much good was done uh, upon my entry into the other fellowship. I was dying of alcoholism at age 44. I was having heart attacks and walking out of intensive care wards and into liquor stores. So stopping, it was necessary. But it's pretty clear to me now that food was my first mood-altering chemical. And it happened very early on in my life. You know, they used to find me on the kitchen floor um, at, at, at my, my childhood home. My parents would find me there 
uh, with a with uh, an empty uh, two pound bag of chocolate chips smeared in chocolate, and I'd be like, you know, half passed out, having built a, a tower to get to the cupboard where my mother kept them in the far back corner, so nobody would steal them because my father was famous for it. I'm convinced I had a, a an allergy to sugar and, and chocolate at a very early age, and when I found beverage alcohol, that it just happened faster for me, and and I went off the cliff. Um, I have an allergy to, to alcohol. I also have an allergy to uh, many ingredients and in foods, including um, refined sugar. So um, I'm grateful to be here because without you um, and the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous and the shared consciousness of our fellowship, you've got a different speaker here tonight. Um, so it's it's I don't take this opportunity lightly. And if you're if you're returning and, and you're suffering, there is a solution because that was a man who was suffering. And I would have told you living in duality. Right. I had the first 164 pages of the big book um, memorized. You know, it's interesting. People say big book study. And I, I cringe a little because I studied the book a lot. I got really good at, at regurgitating the information in it and sounding really good from a podium. And I had no real experience with it because I didn't have a, a practice of 10, 11, and 12 on a rigorous basis. I wasn't rigorously honest about, um, about you know, step six and seven, which I think sometimes we breeze by. You know, there's a very important instruction in, in the sixth step, and people will claim all the time that there's not much good information about step six in the big book. And I think all the information you ever need is in the, in the, in the line, if you still cling to something, you won't let go help ask God to help you be willing, because that's what I had to do when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, because I had this head full of knowledge, and my credits didn't transfer. I needed your experience. I needed to be able to relate. I needed somebody to grab me by the hand and show me how to put together a food plan, introduce me to a way of living, right? Using the nine tools of Overeaters Anonymous in combination with a spiritual experience. Um, I'm a guy that walked in here uh, with an opinion about an experience I hadn't had, and I was in way more trouble than I thought I was. It was clear that I was dying. So I ask that. I, I give that consideration out to everyone. This is it possible that you're in more trouble than you think you are? Because what we're gonna what I'm gonna reflect on here and there is a solution is is a couple of things that you know the first 43 pages of this book and the doctor's opinion are about one singular subject. Step one. And where are you at with that today? Because for me, it's not if I'll compulsively overeat again, it's when. Unless this power exists in my life at a high level. I got real clear on the fact that I have absolutely no power of choice in food. I have to be rigorously honest and committed to reporting everything that goes in my body on a daily basis. That's just for me. I don't tell anybody else they have to do that but I weigh and measure everything I eat. I have a plan from a nutritionist um, that I follow and I commit my food on a daily basis, as well as a number of other um, 
you know, an assignment that includes my, 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 um, my 10th and 11th step. Right. And I'm, and I'm accountable about my daily actions. Um, so I put on weight as a kid. I was, I was, you know, I was, I was overweight and, and, you know, we, if, if we go to the book, um, on page 18, and it says an illness of this sort, we have come to believe it an illness. Nobody would have thought I had an illness when I was a kid, right? Involves those about us in a way no other human sickness can. If a person has cancer, all are very sorry for him and no one is angry or hurt, but not so with the, with the alcoholic illness for with it, there goes annihilation of all things worthwhile in life. I can report to you that that's true because I grew up in an alcoholic home where I was witness to and victim of things that no child should be witness to or victim of. And it had absolutely nothing to do with why I was a compulsive overeater. Did I turn to food for comfort? Yes. Did it give me comfort? Yes. But as soon as I, I consumed food, I had a reaction. I had an allergy. And it wasn't until I realized that with my sponsor in Overeaters Anonymous that I had the same reaction to certain ingredients in food and beverage alcohol that this thing clicked that that's why I was dying in another 12-step fellowship, thinking I could work my step work steps out of that. No, a man's brain has to be cleared first. I had to put the food down. My food had to go, like I like to say it, in a cup, right? I had to get my food. I had, I had to be abstinent before I could have a spiritual experience. Um. And that was a spooky deal because I didn't know anything about how to eat abstinence. My sponsor walked me through the first week of meals, meal by meal, until I got a food plan from a nutritionist. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I have type 2 diabetes, so I needed a food plan from a nutritionist. I needed the, the right foods to eat, right? It's medically necessary for me to have medical professionals and a nutritionist involved. If I'm making decisions about what I eat, why am I here if I have that capacity? I wouldn't be an Overeaters Anonymous if I had the power of choice over food. Um, and where do I get that? Well, page 24 says it pretty well. Um, if, if we go to page 24, and I'll hop around in here. I, I like to do that. Um, but... You know, it says the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Most compulsive overeaters have lost the power of choice in food. Right? If I had choice, why would I need you? You know, no offense, but the Vikings are playing tonight. I live in Minnesota. I could be watching the football game. Not that, you know, I I get my heart broke again, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother set of resentments. I'll put that on my four step. Um, our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. I had a relapse in Overeaters Anonymous. I had a binge eating episode in 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 Overeaters Anonymous, laying in a hospital bed about to experience the amputation of two of my toes as a direct result and consequence of my disease. And then somebody's going to say to me in this fellowship, just make better decisions about what you're going to eat. 
we can kill people with that stuff. And, you know, sometimes when I go at it that aggressively, people get offended. You know, I'd rather offend you than bury you. Because that's the truth of this illness. It lives in that area, that space in my in my in my head where I'll say, well, you know, maybe it's not that bad for me. You know, if you think that the big book is asking too much in working the steps, what I would ask is, what's food asking you to do? What's food asking you to give up? What did it ask you to give up? What is it currently doing to your, your spiritual condition? What's the nature of your relationships? You know, I have this thing that I do every Thanksgiving. I, I, I start a conversation about religion and politics. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just joking. What I do is, is I ask the people in my family, in my life, how did I show up this year? And what would you report to me that you would like to see me do better in our relationship? And then I just listen. And I report that to my sponsor. And we sort through what's reasonable. You know, my niece always says, well, you didn't give me $100,000. Well, you know, yeah, okay. You know, she's in her 20s. She's she's entitled. Um, but, you know, the, this idea that the, the, with, that the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago, we are without defense against the first bite. Where do I sit with that today? And how am I showing up? Because, you know, the big book says a more important demonstration of our principles in our homes, occupations, and affairs. This isn't about how I show up when I get on this meeting, although that's important. It's about what I do the other 23 hours of the day. You know, what are your coworkers? How, how do your coworkers experience you? And when's the last time you asked a couple of them? It's an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, I hear stuff I don't like hearing, but it helps me get better because then I can go and look at what I'm clinging to in step six and ask God in step seven to remove, right? And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't because if it's useful, I got. I guess I got to keep it. You know, my bluntness is something that I've often thought should be removed. And I've often had people say, oh God, no, that's the best thing about you. Okay, well, you haven't had your tires cut at an AA meeting because you you annoyed somebody that was, you know, a month sober. So now I always start my talks with, you know, listen, if, if something I say offends you, don't look at who offended you, look at what was offended. You know, I think oftentimes we can personalize things, especially the things in this book. Um, I like to go right after page 24. I like to go to the next page, right, where it says um, on page 25, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. What's that? 15 minutes. Thank you. I have 15 minutes left? No, you've used 15, so there's okay. five left. Right. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, but we saw that it really worked in others 
and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. That's where I was at. And where I was at was in 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 2015, the summer of 2015 at the at the um, international AA convention in Atlanta, Georgia, with 60,000 of my fellows that I can't really enjoy the party with because I can only walk about five to 700 feet at the time um, on these legs that are blown up twice the size of their, that they should be, right? I've put on 160 pounds or 170 pounds, whatever the hell it was, after a triple bypass that I had to have to repair my heart from the damage I did to my alcohol with my alcoholism. And that happened at five years sober. So in the ensuing six years, I put on 150 pounds. I don't know any cardiologists that recommend that as a recovery process from a triple bypass. But if you ask me how I'm doing at that point, I'll tell you, I'm fine. How you doing? I'm fine. Because that's my standard answer, right? I'm fine. Well, this woman in the photograph that I showed, um, these two are people that I met at a retreat that I had done while I was a member of that other fellowship who had heard me speak. And they came over and greeted me. And I was not as big as as when I did that retreat as I was here, but I was big and, and growing. And what I thought, I assumed they were both members of, of the other fellowship and they weren't. She's a member of this fellowship and he is a member of that fellowship. And they go to their conventions together because that's what people do when they're married. They go to each other's 12-step conventions, apparently, right? Um, and I was sitting on a bench wheezing and sweating and, and you know, having just finished binge eating, you know, about three quarters of a a personal size pizza. I always get emotional here. And she walked over and 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 uh, said they said hello and and then she looked at him and said in her wifey voice, "Hey, go get us some coffee." Um, and he's like, "No, the lines are too long." And and then she said in the real wifey voice, "Go get us some coffee." Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. And off he went. And she sat down and grabbed my hand and uh, and said, how you doing, Patrick? And I said, I'm fine. And she squeezed my hand and looked me right in the eye and said, Patrick, you're full of shit. You're dying. And I'm as a member of Overeaters Anonymous, I'm here to tell you that you don't have to. Two minutes, Patrick. And she proceeded, she proceeded to 12-step me. Right there in that. So of course I was so happy with that that I flew home um two days later and ate like a madman for a month. Um and then one Sunday I woke up with a mustard seed of willingness and I, I got online and I looked up a meeting. So if you think you're a little wackadoodle and you're on this meeting, I had to be, I had to fly to Atlanta to be 12 stepped at a 12 step convention into another 12 step fellowship, right? To fly home, eat like a madman for a month to find out that my eventual home group in Overeaters Anonymous was right around a mile from my house. That's how I roll. Um, 
And at that meeting, I was asked a very another very intrusive question uh, after the meeting was over. A man came up to me and said, uh, hey, man, what are you going to have for breakfast? I thought that was the rudest thing anybody had ever said to me. But a funny, funny, funny sentence came out of my mouth, which was, I don't know, man, can you help? And he said, sure, I will. And he gave me what he was going to eat off of his food plan. And he said, go buy this stuff and we'll get you connected to We'll get you connected to this thing. And he walked me through the first week of abstinent meals because I didn't know how to do that. I literally didn't know how to do it. He helped me put that together. And then I got my food plan from a nutritionist. And then I got a sponsor and I started committing that every day. And I've been doing it ever since. I've had two slips here. I told you about one. Another one was a was an, uh, uh, and it's always caused by self-will run riot and dishonesty, right? I've agreed with my sponsor that if I need to change a, a, a food um, during during the day, I'll, I'll make a call and just get it approved. And, you know, I didn't do that one time. So I've had to start my date over twice in Overeaters Anonymous. And I chose to do that because for me, rigorous honesty is important. Your time's up, Patrick. How can I be abstinent if I'm lying? That's not abstinence in my in my view. That's my you know that's my opinion. But um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share my story and this uh, and this chapter with you. I know I didn't get to the chapter a whole lot, but my experience with this chapter is there is a solution. Um, I'm living, breathing, walking, talking evidence of such. Um, so I'll pass, and I'm happy to answer questions and and talk. What a powerful example of the program. Thank you so much, Patrick, for being here tonight and for sharing. We really appreciate it. And um, we're gonna now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter that we're studying this week, which is there is a solution. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions. Oh, we already have lots lined up there, good. Um, and uh, star nine, if you're on the phone, and we will call on them in order. With the timekeeper, please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up. And if, the, if Patrick has asked a question, please allow three minutes for him to answer. All right, we're gonna start with Chanel, followed by Deb G and then Mia. Go ahead, Chanel. Thanks, Sherry. Patrick, thank you so, so much for coming and serving on this meeting again. And uh, that gets me emotional every time when you talk about the gal who's in the pictures with you, 12-stepping you. And the reason why it gets me particularly emotional is because one of my closest friends is dying in this disease knows I'm in the program, wants nothing to do with it. And I still feel like I need to 12-step her. And what I keep, keep being told is recover, recover, recover. But I just, she's dying. And it's it's getting hard to see her. It's getting hard to be around her because um, I don't know what to do. So if you have any suggestions for me, I am all ears. And thank you so much for coming. You know, the only thing I, that I that I would 
just continue to be an example and don't be afraid of how she might experience it. If you, you know, say something, I, I think sometimes we get, we get caught up in comforting it, each other. And for me, comfort's deadly. Um, the spiritual solution is not about comfort. That's not what we're here for. Um, we're not here to be comforted. We're here to, to be uncomfortable at times um, so I can find peace and serenity. Because peace and serenity has a much higher value in my life than comfort does. What good is seeking comfort got me in my life? It got me into two 12-step fellowships. So. Thanks. Um, Deb G is up next, followed by Mia. Go ahead, Deb. Hi, thanks, Patrick, for your honest share. I just want to endorse the honesty, not just about your own story, but what you share with people in the fellowship. Because the program caused us to be rigorously honest. But to me, it's not just about my, my friggin' disease. It's about what I tell other people who have it as well. And when you said that thing about someone either said to you or someone else, make better decisions, I went, are you kidding me? Like, uh, just turn it over. When I have no idea what turning it over even means. I don't even know the extent of my problem. And so as a sponsor, I try to help people see the depth and width of this disease. Um, and I think that when they said the only in, in this chapter, there is a solution is a spiritual awakening, a spiritual solution. I, I've started to read a lot about the mental obsession and how that, that is as powerful as the allergy, if even more so, because it literally hijacks the brain. You have no choice when it comes up. And if people think they have a choice around the obsession, they're doomed. There is no choice. We are literally hijacked, like we're on an airliner, the terrorists come on board, that plane's rerouted. There's nothing you can do, you know, unless you, you can have a way to get off the plane, and usually that requires a power greater than you. So I just love the idea of being honest. I've had sponsees jump ship from me because they it's too much work. They don't want to do it. And for a long time, I thought I was in the results business. But now I go, well, maybe they can find a way to get it. And it's not me. And that's really okay. So again, I, I just like you telling it like it is uh, that we have to do more than check boxes every day. Because God knows the difference of whether we're intentional with our recovery or we're just playing rep. So thank you again for your share and I'll pass. Mia's up next. Hey, hi, Hello. thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Patrick, so much for your share. And thank you everybody for uh, who's here, who's doing service. I really appreciate it. Um, what I heard from you, Patrick, was really clear and really concise and just your honesty is just so refreshing. And, you know, what I've come to, I guess I should say, uh, I'm Mia JT from Lexington, recovered compulsive overeater, uh, available sponsor. Um, but uh, for me, I've just really come to the conclusion that this is the only thing that works for me. I mean, I have, you know, you name it, I've tried it. 
And um, I always know I'm in really, really deep trouble when I start thinking that bariatric surgery is the answer to my problem, you know, because I know my problem is, uh, you know, in my brain and in my head and that I have an allergy and I have an obsession. So um, I'm just grateful to know that, grateful to know that there are things that I need to do that I need to surrender to each and every single day um, to do the things that are, are told to me in the big book so that I can arrest this illness, this disease on a day-to-day -day basis because, you know, I wake up every morning and I'm a compulsive overeater, right? That's the bottom freaking line. And um, I just need to always remember that and I need to be in the center of the herd. And, you know, my sponsors always think, you know, you need to share a little more so people get to see you, you know, um, or get to hear you. They see you, but they don't hear you. So I'm just really grateful to be here. Thank you all for being here. And thank you again for your service. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Mia. Uh, Lisa's up next, followed by Stacy. Hi, family. My name is Lisa and I am a compulsive overeater. And, and Patrick, thank you so much. You uh, There was a lot of things that I totally identified with. Um, also, a uh, longstanding member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't apply these same steps to my eating. I tried. Believe me, I tried. And, and you mentioned something about step six and a lot of times, and it was, I, many people, I didn't understand step six and seven until I did a deeper understanding in a in reading Drop the Rock with a other group of people. And I started seriously praying the six and seven step prayer, which led me to the rooms of OA. And I um came to know a new depth of powerlessness. I didn't understand, you know, I got AA really easy and I couldn't stay off the sugar. And I learned, you know, I had a little bit of time of abstinence and then I had a relapse and I understood the powerlessness like never before of that first bite. I saw the obsession of the mind. I saw the compulsion. I, I saw the whole thing that I never really experienced in AA. I experienced with it in the food in a deeper way. Um, he also mentioned about honesty. I can't. If I can't be honest, I will not get abstinent. I will lie to you in a heartbeat about the food. And so that's one of my things. Every day I pray to be honest. I call my sponsor daily and, and a very compassionate sponsor. You know, I am not afraid to tell her when I've, you know, had something that I shouldn't. And then we work through and we find out why I chose to pick up something I I, I, I shouldn't have picked up. Um you know, this, this program has saved my life and I've seen many people where they are dying because of this disease and, and just, you know, you being an example that somebody came up to you at another, that is just mind blowing at a, at a retreat. It is mind blowing to me, but you know, that's how, that's how higher power works. That's how higher power works. When you are ready, the teacher will appear. Um, and it gave me a new hope that not to be ashamed to share this with, with other people. And I am just the messenger. If they don't receive it, they don't receive it. But I am to, you know, higher powers judge to be a maximum service to, to, to God and my fellow man. 
and I need to be open. I need to be abstinent to be able to share that message. And um, I am, I, uh, you mentioned credits transfer and I'm go going to a workshop in December. So it's on OA and credits transfer. I'm going to just post that in case anybody else is interested in that. Thanks. Thanks, Lisa. Stacy's up next. Hi, I'm Stacy. I'm a compulsive overeater, gratefully, very gratefully in recovery. Um, Patrick, thanks very much for your share. Um, I do want to announce today is 91 days for me. So I'm I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm really grateful. Uh, I've been in this program a long time and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I don't come from big numbers. I was, my peak weight was like 20 pounds, probably more than I am at this point throughout my life. And um, for, for me, in a way, I think that like gave me my reason why I wasn't as bad or I wasn't a real compulsive overeater or maybe I didn't or something, you know, um, maybe it was just a little bit more insidious for me. I have a sister who's 150 pounds overweight and um, and I, I understand the frustration of having somebody you love in this disease. But, but anyway, um, I'm incredibly grateful that for whatever reason, and I don't know what that reason is, I really, really got how powerless I am over compulsive overeating. And I really, really got that I was a compulsive overeater, no matter what my size was, that that's where, that's where I came from. And that it really is not my choice. It really isn't my choice. I, I listened to a wonderful podcast, an A podcast recently. And the guy was saying that like, for people who relapse, like there's no choice. There's there's no choice. The choice I have is to do the work for the spiritual experience that that keeps me um abstinent. And and just I'm just so grateful I have that on a deeper level. I, I don't know why, but I'll just accept it and and I'm really happy for it. I do have a question, Patrick. Um my I've been thinking about this lately. My question is for for you. What does it really mean to have a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening? Like, I always think it means like whatever, and I'm not there yet, but, you know, I'm, I'm redefining what it really means for me. So I would love to hear your feedback on that. Thank you. I think the, the most profound experience I've had with, with this is that I go from being self-obsessed to selfless. You know, everybody talks about what's the fourth dimension that Bill talks about. Well, if you read carefully up to where that is in the book, all he talks about is himself. And then he begins to talk about how he began to think about others. Right. For me, a spiritual experience is that you 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 take my selfishness, self-centeredness, and you turn it 180 degrees, and I might spend 15 minutes in a day thinking about somebody besides myself. And I built a, a an entire life around that concept of what can I do for others, with you know healthy boundaries. Which, by the way, is a that's a whole nother that's a whole nother meeting or or retreat we could do. <laughs> so, but yeah, that for me, it's really the ability to walk these principles out into the world and effectively live them. And again, asking the people who experience me the most, how they experience me, how am I showing up? Right. Um, because if I had the ability to, to, to perceive that correctly, 
I would need y'all. So. Thank you. We will now stop the recording for unrecorded questions or shares. So Liz, please stop the recording. <laughs>